Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we actually have a very special show, a show very much produced by our listeners, as we entertain suggestions for guests. Who does our audience want to hear from? A listener from Boston mentioned the name Mel King. A quick Google search afforded me troves of information about this Boston politician, community activist, mayoral candidate, MIT professor, active tennis player at age 82, and honestly a man of true wisdom who shared some time with me in the foyer of the South End Technology Center, a place he founded over a decade ago. Here are some highlights, nuggets of wisdom, perspective, and history from our hour-long interview. In recent elections, hope has become a buzzword. In a Boston Magazine interview, you said, I'm not one who buys into the hope business, by the way. Hope is almost in the realm of chance. I think we ought to be about expecting. Is there no place for hope in education? <laughs> no. Why should we hope? Why shouldn't we know that we can do the job for the children, for their families? We know that. Um, we can do that. And so I don't buy into that at all, obviously. The, the, the one critical issue is that we do not have high expectations. You wouldn't buy an automobile and hope it would run. Okay. So why would we hope that the schools are going to work? Right. And I'm comfortable saying that because I know they can work. What are some examples of schools that have worked? It begins, moves to uh, adults who care have the children create. We are the gift of creation. We are to create. That's why we laud the painters and the artists and whatnot. But every child has that gift to be able to create. And I know that I remember when I made my first kite. I was about nine years of age, eight. And I went down the street and it went up in the air. You couldn't tell me anything. I mean, I knew I made this kite and it blew. And so I get into building things after. And building things is, I think, a very, very crucial aspect of, of making the, um, the schools, um, schools work for children. And that's part of the philosophy of the South End Technology Center. It's yeah. creating here. Absolutely. In 94, 95, I organized a conference on what was then the information highway. Knowing the experience of the highways around the country going through people's communities, but they couldn't get on or off. And I had this notion that the information highway, which we now call the internet, was going to do the same thing and that there were people and communities 
that we're not going to be able to get on and off. And so I wanted to have this conference. We got people from across the country, uh, support from AT&T to do this conference. And <clears throat> out of it came quite a bit, again, about the message and who the messenger was, how this was now going to be an opportunity for lots of people to be able to send their images and stories over this uh, medium. In 96, I decided that it would be important to open up a center where people could get access. And so that's how this has come about. And one of our major pieces is to get people to be producers of information to tell their story because they are now in control. Tell me a little bit about the process of community organizing. You've been an activist for decades. What are some key principles that would help other people looking to community organize in places outside of the South End? Well, I think the most important aspect of it is uh, the ability to listen. I understand that to really listen, I get this from Father John Harmon, means a willingness to change. And to really listen also means that you are seeing the person as a vital human being with something to contribute not only to the community, but to you as well. I'm curious, Mr. King, you were a teacher in the 50s. Still am. You taught math at your old high school? Yes. Tell me a little bit about the experience of being a teacher in the 50s and how it's changed. Well, I don't know how it's changed now. I can talk about then. It's interesting. I had been a camp counselor, and I'd been a youth worker. And... I look up and I see the same youth who were at camp in my classroom. These were also youth that I was connected to in the neighborhood as well, and so they saw me on the streets. So this is an important aspect of, of this. So I liked teaching, and so we had a program called Detached Street Workers in which you hung out on corners. You went where the youth were. There were you know, the regular youth programs, uh, the youth came to the centers. What we did, what I did, was to go out where they hung out and move them into different directions, et cetera. And one of the things we developed was this role model program. And it just fit because I always wanted to do it my older brothers and the guys on the corner who were older were doing. And so I figured that if I was going to get anything to happen, I got the older guys into a football team, and then the next age group, and then the third age group. So we had three different kinds of uh, groups. Now, I know I've strayed away from the teaching aspect of it, but you see, one of the things you can do with the sports and clubs, for example, we had bowling, and 
You want to teach some people how to add and make sure they get it? Have them be the scorekeeper for a bowling um, match and the person who just bowled and got eight pins down or made a strike and three or whatever is over your shoulder making sure that you get the total correct. That was funny watching that proceed over a year, a couple of years, where after a while, that person who had stumbled, you know, got it quickly. You can teach or get people to learn in a lot of ways. When we talked about basketball and passing it, we talk about a straight line, you know, you go around, cross, et cetera, what happens, you go across, has a better chance of getting intercepted. I mean, you really, I used to use that group stuff in order to um, do some teaching, not only group dynamics, but some fundamentals of um, arithmetic or, or, or science. You've lived through the civil rights movement. You've lived through desegregation. All in a historically racially charged city of Boston. As someone who may know the facts of change, what are the salient feelings of change from someone who lived through it all? This is a tough one because you have to try to overcome every reminder. So, for example, when the Tea Party folks, their allies, spit on the black Congress people, congressional people, you, know, you want to know what the feelings are about that? Um, so, and that's just maybe a more graphic aspect of it, but it's still a very, very big, 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 big piece of what one deals with, uh, the whole issue of profiling, racial profiling. Yeah, we got laws, et cetera. When it happens to any one of us, the rest of us, let me speak for me, I feel it, okay. It has to be about, as Vincent Harding would say, a new and informed humanity, not equal opportunity in a dehumanized society. We grow up and they says you should beat the swords in the plowshares. And we're a country that's beating our plowshares into swords. Mr. King, are you 82 years old? 80, 81? 82. And 20 days. Mr. King, what are, your, what are your goals right now? Um, well, my, interesting, my um, belief goal is to continue to do things that have us all believing that it's possible to make this world work for everybody. I really believe that, and there are people who are working on it. The other thing is that 
I have a song coming out called Bring Out the Music in You. And um, I have a number of people who are going to sing it, which I put it on YouTube and iTunes. It's a lot of fun. Do you mind uh, singing a little bit for us here? A um, little preview? I'm the melody that moves you. Doesn't have to rhyme with being in three-quarter time. Any way you do it will come out fine. You'll hear it. That's why I have other people singing it. You'll hear it. You'll sing along with it. I think it's going to be big. suggestions for future guests, please check out our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash Harvard Education, and leave us your suggestion on our wall, and we'll try to make that happen. I'm Matt Weber. This is the Harvard EdCast. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.